everyone, welcome to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast that seeks to answer the question, is Percibeth the greatest love story ever told? We began this podcast in 2020, and as with all independent podcasts, we've grown a lot in the last two years. Namely, our audio is much better now, but we still love our early episodes, and we hope you will too. You should know coming into this podcast that we sometimes use mature language and occasionally discuss mature themes that are involved in Greek mythology. We here at Seaweed Brain take a critical fandom approach to dissecting the PJO books and believe in the importance of analyzing what you love. Yeah, we're like Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird standing outside the changing room. I did not <laughs> understand that Laurie Metcalf reference. This is where she does that, I want you to be the best version of yourself you can be. And so she goes, what if this is the best version? And Laurie does that like head tilt and that's the end of the scene. That's us. Yes. We believe in the importance <laughs> and the possibility of critical discourse around pop culture. So we would love to hear your thoughts via Instagram at Seaweed Brain Podcast or hit us up on Twitter at Seaweed Brain Pod. Thanks for listening. Hello, welcome to the first ever episode of Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast, where we will be seeking to answer the question Is Percibeth the greatest love story ever told? I have my opinions on it, and we'll get to that later. We'll be working through each of the books in three parts with some very special episodes in between and some very special guests. So if you're interested in rereading the books along with us, please do. That would be very fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Erica. I'm currently in school. I'm studying musical theater and English, which makes me totally qualified to be hosting a podcast about <laughs> children's novels. Carter? Oh, no. oh, qualifications. God. Um, I'm also in school, but not for, for things that are even less, even less relevant. We don't need to talk about it. It's... <laughs> We don't need to talk about where we are, where we go to school, any of that. You already have a rough idea of our age, which is enough information, frankly, and our first names. We'll be here every week, uh, joined by some special guests, uh, but we're, we're your main friends here on this subject, so we're going to get to know each other. We decided, to, or rather, I decided I was really excited to do this because I read these Percy Jackson books when I was a kid, and I just reread them during quarantine, and I was really, really shocked by how emotionally affronted I was by this love story between <laughs> Percy and Annabeth that spreads across these books. It's truly life-changing. And I've always loved the books for multiple reasons, for the, the historical educational purposes and the humor and the genius character development. But truly, I just have to say that this, this love story is, is off the charts and unlike anything we've seen in any other young adult fantasy series. Any so other Carter, why... unnamed <laughs> Anyway, fantasy series. Yeah, we <laughs> we need not talk about her. She who must She's not be been, named. She must not be named. Let's let's. She'll come up later. But Carter, why why are you doing this? Why are you subjecting yourself to this kind of cyberbullying? Um. So podcast. So I'm doing this in part because um. I, you know, I, I study sciences, so this is my idea of what it means <laughs> to stay literate and read books. But. <laughs> Also, like, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that I think Persebeth was probably the first real meaningful portrayal of romance, of the development of companionship, maybe mm. that um, I was really exposed to. And I, th I think that it 
warrants a second look. It it begs for one, truly. And and we're we're, we're going to do that. We're going to do that right now. We're In fact, right starting now. right now. Genius segue. <laughs> We're going to dive in, Look, give it a little chronological look at these first eight chapters of The Lightning Thief. So we're starting off. Percy, he's this kid. He's like got a positive attitude. He's 12 years old. He's in this school for, what do we say, misbehaved, troubled children. Yes. There's Lots some language around that. similar euphemisms about... Yeah, there's language around that that was maybe more appropriate in 2005 than it may be now. But he's in this school for kids. We're at the museum. We're hanging out at the museum. They're on a field trip. Mr. Brunner is here. Mr. Brunner. Taking this opportunity to say, how did you pronounce his name originally when you read these <laughs> books, Carter? His, his real name. His, his real name. Um, I originally thought, so C-H-I-R-O-N. I thought it was Chiron, which. Sounds like Churro a little bit. Uh, phon- phonetic. But it's I feel still like. edgy. Yeah, but you know, it's still more yeah. like it. Yeah. And I said Chiron. French. Which is fun. Classy. It's sort of more like the party ponies than the Chiron <laughs> energy. But it is Chiron, and we're going with Chiron, um, as the Forsaken films did. We'll mention those later. Chiron. So we've got Mr. Brenner slash Chiron um, here. He's the teacher. He's teaching Latin. As we come to know, though, it's it's Greek and Greek mythology that we're talking about in these books, not Roman mythology. Yes. Um, some people have thought that that was like a plot hole in the very beginning, that it was Latin class that Percy was taking. But frankly, in my opinion, nobody's taking Greek history class or Greek language class in middle school. So I think it's fine that they were taking Latin. And Percy mentions that the Latin quizzes were not going well for him. So it's not as though he's able to suddenly magically read Latin like he's magically able to read Greek. Yes. Just wanting to address that. I, I, I don't want to call Rick Riordan out on a plot hole that I don't personally believe exists. Yes. We'll, we'll save that. Too much for that. Yeah. We'll save that for, <laughs> for, when, for when the time comes when we actually need, when we need a little roasty, a little roasty toasty energy. <laughs> They're on this field trip at the Museum of Art. Yeah. The Met. The Metropolitan Museum of Art. I was like, wait, what is it called? It's not just called the Museum of Art. But the Met. They're in New York City where we start and, spoiler, end these books. So <laughs> we've got Nancy Boba Fett. Rich, spoiled brat, we rude. We've always hated her. I kind of wish that she would come back at some point in the books and we could roast her, but she never does. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> Grover is coming up here. He's Percy's like BFF. He's this kid. He's a little quirky. Quirky uh, is a good way to put it. Little recipient of bullying. Yes, he gets bullied. Percy also gets bullied. Yeah, he we does. get the like he gets bullied, but like, you know, like he's like he's a rebel about it. Like, you know, like he responds to bullying through 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 anarchy and like, um, you know, righteous indignation, some might say. Right. That's a great way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> he is a hero after all. In multiple ways, as we're about to find out. <gasps> so here we are in this field trip. We've got the classmate characters. We've got Mr. Brunner. And then there's this lady, Mrs. Dodds. Blah, blah, blah. You know what happens. She turns into a giant monster. Attacks Sad. him in the mat. <laughs> Attacks him in the mat. Before any of this happens, though, we get this incredible setup of what's going to happen with the books. This very initial paragraph coming in the very first page where we basically get this, hey, if you recognize yourself in these books, turn back now. Stop reading. It's it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. we, and like, I think that that really is a great 
fantastic way of setting up these books when you're reading them when you're 12 and you're like, oh my God, I have special powers. And when you're reading them when you're an adult, because it, it sucks you right in. And it's also begins to form this relationship between the reader and Percy because so Percy is narrating all of these books. And we get to know him really, really well. And we start to hear his voice. His voice, a little oh, yeah. corny, but very, you know, very, very endearing. You get that he has his principles. He's got jokes. He's, you know. He's got jokes. He's got lots of jokes, which we love about him. <laughs> so. And then while before, before the fight, I, I also want to backtrack a little bit to say we get this ingenious setting up of Kronos. Kronos? Kronos? Yes. And the story of how he eats his children and then his children fight back. Yes. Which rereading the books, I was like, oh, my God, that's some genius foreshadowing and setting up of what's going on here. What a, what a convenient and informative pop quiz, truly, that Percy gets in, in the Met. Almost yes. as though Mr. Brunner can see the future <laughs> in a very, I'm just going to name drop Dumbledore in fashion <laughs> here, as though he knows the doomsday that we aren't even going to find out about for like a couple more books. We stand an author who plans out their five novel series yes. really from the very beginning. So I wanted to shout out that quick little mention there in that pop quiz moment. Moving back on to the fight. Yeah, so we have Mr. Brunner showing up. He throws Percy the pen, turns into a sword, and Percy kills his first monster. Maybe, question mark, she shows back up in like a few weeks. But, you know, we she explodes into We count it. Yes. yes. She wasn't to just after Grover and Mr. Brunner at this point have arrived and like Mr. Brunner has tossed Percy the pen. The pen immediately turns into a sword. He has no idea what's going on. And the moment after he he slays slain, he has slain <laughs> Mrs. Dodd slash the Fury. The mist takes over. Everyone acts like nothing happened. And Mr. Chiron, <laughs> Mr. Chiron, <laughs> Mr. Brunner asks Percy for the pen back. So we don't get to figure out any more about what's going on there for a little while. Yeah, there's some 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 casual gaslighting, which obviously they explain away later, right? We, we get this, you know, story about how when heroes start to realize who they are, then they get smellier to the monsters. It's more dangerous for them. This is why Percy wants you to stop reading the book if you're a hero too. But also, like... They're gaslighting him. Fascinating. Yeah. Let's let's. I love that that, that little that little drop that the idea of like knowledge and knowledge about who you are makes you inherently more powerful. Yes, very. And and with that power comes danger. However, danger, it is important to know who you are. Um, <laughs> and then so the, everyone's gaslighting Percy, and he knows something is up. Mainly because whenever he brings up what happened with Grover, Grover like. He, does he a bad can't job. really he's he's not the best at his job <laughs> at this point in time. He he's quirky, like we said. He he's got his faults and he's a little awkward and he he's clearly cares about Percy. That yes. we know, if anything, we know that they're best friends and that Grover doesn't want Percy in harm's way. We know that Percy knows that Grover knows something that Percy doesn't. Yes. Grover cannot keep the secret. Yeah. Effectively. And then uh Percy gets expelled and he's going home. For the year, we get this little hint that, or not hint, I guess, pretty much outright, we know that Percy is not a wealthy boy. Yes, we get Percy's class consciousness showing up here when he's, you know, like complaining about the rich kids, talking about how how disappointed he is that Grover might have a summer home also. Yeah. Gasp. But Sad. Yeah. He says all this, of course, as he's talking about returning to his Upper East Side apartment. But um. <laughs> Which we might as well go to now. So Percy and Grover can take the bus back into the city. Wait, wait, wait. He also like sees the fates on his way back, right? And he sees oh, like them yeah. snipping the cord. Grover spins out. Grover is truly like 
way out there, like unconsolable. And and Percy Percy runs away. Yeah, which you know that's fine. He's stressed and he's running away, and that's like something that we see a lot from the Half Bloods as we're going to characterize them later on, is that when they freak out, they tend to run away, which is okay, because they're 12. Um, they're, they're fully children. Reminder, they're fully 12. So Percy is going back to his Upper East Side apartment. Strange, perhaps, with my knowledge of New York, why he lives in the Upper East Side apartment with his mom, who works in a candy shop, who we're supposed to assume works very hard, but doesn't make a lot of money in yes. her candy shop job. And the infamous Gabe Ugliano. who is very smelly and terrible and plays poker all the time, obviously isn't Percy's real dad, not married to Percy's mom either, I think. Wait, I think he is. Oh, wait, yeah, no, he is. He's the stepdad. No, he's fully his stepdad, so even worse. We see him, like, playing poker and, and all that stuff, and he treats Sally, Percy's mom, terribly, questionably abuses her. Like, we don't know exactly what's going on, but we literally hate him, and we see Percy, like, interacting with his mom, who is literally perfect. Perfect. No flaws. In every way. No flaws. In a way that I I appreciate. I don't hate it. I love Sally. And I love how she's characterized as being this, like, warm-hearted, wistful, like, puts up with Gabe for some reason we don't know. Clearly doesn't like him at all. There's no, like... There's no Jordaning of this situation. We clearly know that she doesn't like him, but she's she's putting up with him for some reason. Yes. We can talk about Sally perhaps a little bit later, but we do we do stand a queen. We stand her relationship with Percy, which is generally unproblematic and heartwarming. Yes. They're very close, but also they they take breaks. Percy doesn't even live with her. Yes. We low-key spend the rest of this book trying to get her back. Spoiler. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming that everyone's read these books or reading, at least reading along with us. So we're going to continue on with spoiling everything. But anyway, Percy comes home. uh, Sally's like, guess what? We're going to Montauk to our cabin because you just got expelled. Um, So I feel bad. So we're going out with like a great, great mom. I always think of her as a single mom, even though we kind of always see her with partners. But I think of her as like a strong single mom because we know Gabe isn't doing any raising Gabe is actively doing unraising. He, like, Loki yeah. robs Percy when he returns home from school. Yeah, he takes money from a 12-year-old. Like, as much as a 12-year-old kid can, like, imagine a terrible man, that's pretty much what we get from Gabe. Yes. So Sally and Percy are on their way out, and the stakes get so high. But before the stakes get really high, we get this talk, this conversation between Percy and his mom about his dad. Yes. And we get the sense that, like, they were really in love, Sally and, and Percy's dad, and that he's not dead. He is lost, lost at, at sea. Lost at sea, yeah. She she clearly knows something's up. That That's, like, what we're starting to get from this, is Percy's, you know, confusions are beginning to compound from the year. Mm-hmm. What he's getting from this conversation is not necessarily, like, it's not detracting from that. There are right. clearly some some unanswered questions that she knows a lot more about. And mm-hmm. she's starting Ooh. to get freaked out as their conversation goes on. right. She doesn't want to give him a lot of information, so it's clear that she's withholding something. And it's also clear that, like, Percy, while he has lots of questions about his dad, he doesn't harbor a ton of resentment or angst that we might see from, like, a teen as yes. a tween. He kind of is more <laughs> in the place of, like, I just want to know, and, like, why are you with this um, shithead? Wow, language. Why are you with this <laughs> terrible guy? I don't know if that's appropriate. I don't know if we're allowed to swear. Are we? It's the inter- Wait, it's the internet. There are no censors, but it's like an I internal, like, fine. should we? I think, I think you're right. I think we should go for I'm it. I'm going to go with I think it's fine. <laughs> because some people in these books need language, strong language, to describe. <laughs> and, and that's something that we will be mentioning the movies later on in a very special episode 
dedicated specially to that um, heinous disaster. (laughs) But weird, like, strong theme that gets played up in the movie that is not existent in the book is that Percy is, like, really angry Mm. at Poseidon. Oops. For (laughs) abandoning. We all know. We all know. It's fine. We know. Okay, whatever. We freaking know. But... He gets angry at Poseidon for, like, abandoning him and his mom. And it's really, like, we get this anger in him that we we are supposed to really get a lot more from a different character who we're about to meet. But Mm -hmm. because of the fact that in the movie they cast Logan Lerman, beautiful, perfect man that he is, older, has more of a sense of abandonment and less of this, like, still curious, still in some ways growing up, still time to learn about his dad. Yeah, he, like, misses him, but he's not, like, resentful. And sort of a similar way to Sally, like, where, like, she also seems to have, like, have a very nostalgic, wistful memory of Percy's dad and not, like, you know, get upset about child support or things like that, which, honestly, she deserves. Why? We'll we'll get into that later. We'll get into (laughs) that. Anyway, we're at Montauk and it's lovely and it's this cool, stormy image of the beach and it's not, like, this beautiful, tropical, sunny place. It's this, like, (laughs) stormy sea... I mean, I'm looking at the cover as I say this, but it's got this like different way of romanticizing the ocean and yes. that imagery, which which is very appropriate to the book and the kind of character who his dad really is. The Stormbringer, <laughs> the Earthshaker, if you will. And then we get Grover coming running in, freaking out. The monster's Does right behind him. Does he literally physically run up to them? Like while they're in their car? Shows, he shows up at the cabin. He's like, oh, it's he right behind me. Percy's mom says, right. Percy... <laughs> have you lied to me? I don't know. Let's go. And they're off. And they're driving. And, they're and there's something nebulous behind them. They keep going. It gets closer. There's something nebulous behind them. And there's something nebulous in front of them. They they know yes. that they have to take Percy to the camp. The camp. Percy doesn't know what's going on yet. But they're running away from something and they're running to something. And there's a storm going on. And suddenly the stakes are monumental. And it's the freaking Minotaur. Yes. Genius choice of a monster <laughs> that maybe even when we were children reading these books we had sort of an idea of what that was yes like this like communal cultural consciousness of what that is and how that that's dangerous and it's really freaky and it's like this several feet tall creature with these huge horns and at the same time it's wearing a diaper wow because Adorable. we've got jokes we've got hilarious jokes. yes minotaur shows up their car gets blasted they're running on foot it's still thundering very dramatic grover's passed out the Minotaur grabs his mom. His mom is telling him all this information. She's telling him how to fight it. We're confused mm. about how she knows all of this. But how does she know this? She's informed. She knows what's happening. She's clearly been preparing for this. But Everyone not- knows what's going on except for Percy <laughs> and us at this point. We're so engaged, especially when the Minotaur reaches out. He grabs her. She disappears. Shower of golden dust. Is she dead? What? But the stakes are so high. So We have to move on. We high. have to move on. We have to move on because it's still here. We're, there's, still, there's still this monster. The- yes. Percy, Percy, somehow. No weapon. No weapons. Grover is like passing out at this point. Useless friend. A liability. We love him, but he's useless a lot (laughs) until much later on in the series. Percy, Percy, this 12-year-old. On his own. On his own. The monster charges. He jumps onto its back. How does he do it? We don't know. Snaps off a horn. Percy doesn't know either. He's like, no idea how I did that. Percy does not know what's happening. Terrified. Angry. Where's his mom? He doesn't know. Rips off the horn. Stabs. This legendary monster, the monster that is, like, basically, like, the only thing that Theseus faces as, like, an obstacle. This, like, legendary hero, Percy, 12-year-old, no experience, no training, no weapons, bam, stabs it. We're wildly impressed, we're terrified, we don't know what's happening, he blacks out. And he passes out. Gasp. 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 Drama. Huge gasp, because what happens when he wakes up... (gasps) Oh my... (gasps) 
the start of my heart is fluttering, my my pulse is pounding. <laughs> shall I shall I give a little reading, perhaps? You, yes. Let's, or would you let's like go. to? Would you like to? <laughs> I, you, you you can go for it. This is on page fifty-six for folks who who are listening with their books at the ready. The last thing I remember is collapsing on a wooden porch, looking up at a ceiling fan circling above me, moths flying around a yellow light, and the stern faces of a familiar-looking bearded man and a pretty girl, her blonde hair curled like a princess's. They both looked down at me, and the girl said, He's the one. He must be. Silence, Annabeth, the man said. He's still conscious. Bring him inside. Dot, 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 dot. I must have woken up several times, but what I heard and saw made no sense, so I just passed out again. I remember lying in a soft bed, being spoon-fed something that tasted like buttered popcorn, only it was pudding. The girl with curly blonde hair hovered above me, smirking as she scraped drips off my chin with the spoon. When she saw my eyes open, she asked, What will happen at the summer solstice? I managed to croak, What? She looked around as if afraid someone would overhear. What's going on? What was stolen? We've only got a few weeks. I'm sorry, I mumbled. I don't. Somebody knocked on the door, and the girl quickly filled my mouth with pudding. Next time I woke up, the girl was gone. Uh, oh my god! Uh, All right, let's 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 go back. Let's do a close reading wow. of this. <laughs> That's exactly the term I was looking for. We're doing a close reading of this passage. Please highlight repeated words. Um, we have pretty a lot. She is the pretty girl. She's a pretty girl. That's the first reference we got to her. Two references to her curly blonde hair. Like a princess's, he says. Oh my god, wow. what a brilliant description for a 12-year-old dumb boy. Regal. We have to we have to remember this is Percy. Like, he's 12, he's a dumb boy, and he's looking at this girl, and the only thing he can think to say is, wow, her hair looks like a princess. <gasps> wow. That's so sweet. Is... Uh, we have to assume that Sally really taught him how to respect women. Yes. And be a good person. We thank Sally for that, truly. She was a queen. Is a queen. We don't know if she's dead or not yet. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> and they're 12. Annabeth is 12, too, as we come to realize. But she is spoon-feeding him and taking care of him and literally, like, laying at his bedside, waiting for him to recover. But. But why? Because she wants information. She, she needs to know what's She needs on. information. She needs wisdom. She needs to figure out, is he the one? What is she referring to? As we find out, it's not romance. It's power. So she's, she's focused. She has goals. She sees this boy and she thinks, what, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my career? And we, we love that about her. We love Starting that. She doesn't say hi. She says, what will happen at the summer solstice? <laughs> we love how focused she is. Data-driven, some might say. Data she, she, she's doing her research. And then uh, Percy wakes back up. Is there anything else we'd like to say about Annabeth? As the, first, like the first thing entrance. that she says when he's fully lucid is, you drool while you sleep. Again, we love a queen who keeps him in place, reminds him he's nothing yet, you know? Yeah, no, he really isn't. And like she, and she, you know, she's suspecting this thing the whole time. She's like, big three material. What does that mean? We don't know. Like, absolutely not. She really doesn't care at all about him. And he's just like, <laughs> oh, she's pretty. What's going on? Where am I? So it's this very simple beginning to what is about to become the greatest uh, love story of our generation. So exciting. So exciting. And we continue to see throughout the novels just how focused she is. And we see her grow up and all of this amazing stuff. And it's just, it's so well set up in this moment of she gives not a single poopy about boys at this moment. (laughs) Will that change? Spoiler, yes. Okay. 
Percy uh, wakes up and he starts to tour the camp and we start to get like world building, which is so fun and exciting. Yes. We're here at Camp Half-Blood for the first time. And it's beautiful, by the way. It's so well described. It's this beautiful field looking over the sparkling lake and there's the woods and there's the armory and there's the cabins. Beautifully fleshed out. You can really see the the climbing walls just crashing together as the lava pours down. That's one of the images that always sticks out in my head. I'm like, (laughs) I can see the lava pouring down the climbing walls and people like getting burnt. I can hear the the howls from random monsters in the forest. Right. That they use to pull pranks on each other because we're suddenly in this world where not only is Percy this like funny guy who's got jokes about life or death, but like everyone is joking about life and death. Everyone thinks it's hilarious to like sick a monster on someone in their sleep. (laughs) Yes. Stakes are high. And we're meeting people. We're meeting so many people. Let's talk about Chiron first, I guess. We're not really meeting him for the first time, obviously, but we're being reintroduced. Surprise, surprise. Kyron's... I mean, in his sweet, beautiful, gleaming horse body. (laughs) But yeah, he's a horse. Surprise. He trained Hercules. We start to realize that this whole teacher-student relationship between... Or like, rather, like, what do we say? Like, mentor... Yeah. ...trainee relationship, which is so crucial in every fantasy story ever told, is really being solidified through Kyron and, and Percy here. And all of the campers. Yes. We love him. He's got this very mysterious aura of knowledge. He doesn't tell Percy everything. Yes. There are several moments where Percy will be like, with his very astute listening skills, will look at Kyron's face and be like, it looked as though he was going to say something else. And then he didn't. Yes. Fascinating. Is this mentor making good decisions? Is he hiding things? What is he putting on Percy? All the standard questions for a good, mysterious, powerful mentor, fantasy mentee relationship. Yes. Yes. And then we get um, the other campers and we get our first encounter with a god. Yes. Through Mr. D, who is an asshole. Like, Who's straight not up. great. Not, He's not great. Not phenomenal as a person. We see him immediately, like, like bullying the satyrs. Um, yes. We get that he's bratty. We get that he's kind of entitled. We get that he has obvious character flaws. But also he's powerful. Like, it's clear that he's powerful, and yet... People are intimidated by him. And yet he uses that power to, like, you know, like, get cheap service from these people who are terrified of him. Right. What does that and mean? And he's also us? here as a prisoner. He's also here, like, against his will. He doesn't want to be here. The gods literally, like, tossed him here for several yeah. centuries. He doesn't like the satyrs. He doesn't like the half-bloods either. As someone who we find out very quickly, like, has half-blood children at this camp, he's not a fan. He, like, truly does not... Invest himself in their welfare, even though he's yeah. stuck here. Does not make he a dad? Yeah. Like, is he a good dad? Does he ever talk to his kids? And we start to wonder, like, why are the parents literally so terrible to their children? Why do they ignore them? Why is there this weird rule that they can't interfere very much yes. with their lives? And we're waiting for Percy to get claimed, so we still don't know what's going on there. But we meet Dionysus, and we get this uh, conversation between Dionysus and, and Chiron and, and Percy where... Percy's like, well, what about, like, God? Like, the Christian God, or whatever he <laughs> says. And they're like, oh, God, with a capital G, we we shan't deal with the metaphysical. Gasp. Rick Riordan said, Christians can read this. Yes! Thank <laughs> God! I, like, truly thank God, because you never know what Christian elementary school is going to forbid their children from <laughs> reading these books. <laughs> grateful for that one line because I truly think that without that I would not have been able to bring these books into my school. I would have had to hide them in brown paper bags. Like we had to for certain other unnamed fantasy series which have disappointed us recently. <laughs> yes. We get this little conversation about like can gods die? They're immortal, but we 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 get this little taste of like what does immortal mean? Does it mean people can forget about you? What does that feel like? 
we, we get these allusions to like uh, things that the book is going to delve into more around like what it really means. Can gods fade away? What is their actual relationship to like people and ideas and culture, history? Most notably Western civilization. Most notably Western civilization, which Dionysus specifically invokes here to say, you know, one and the same. We're tied together. We are your culture. We're your history. We're your ideas. We're your intellectual traditions. Which is, which is interesting. We, we, we have like a little tour of like what Western civilization is to them. And we hear some <laughs> interesting places. We hear um, basically like the seat of colonial power and empire <laughs> as it moves through different countries. Whoever was colonizing the, the most at history. any moment happened to feature the Olympians at that time. Including some interesting, interesting additions. We have like Spain in there, which like, you know, it's a romance language, but like also like significant influence from like North Africa and like. Who's included in this? Are we including their subjects? What are the other cultures that sort of get sweeped up in there that are maybe not mm-hmm. conventionally held up as Western? It's ambiguous. We, we get that Western culture is some mixture of like card games and like, you know, like democracy and stuff like that. And drinking Diet Coke. Drinking Diet Coke. And it's okay yes. that we're linking that we're linking the gods now to Western civilization because we we clearly don't really like this one god that we've met. And not that when we were 12 or, or 9 or whenever, whatever age we were reading this, if we truly understood the, the demon of that is Western civilization. We might not have had critical anti-colonial consciousness at that point because of certain successful colonial institutions in education. But... Uh, oof. Uh, <laughs> the word of the day is oof. But yeah, but now we can look back at it and we can be like, okay, the gods are somehow ambiguously linked to this ambiguous idea of Western civilization. And we sort of also ambiguously don't like them right now. So yes. that's okay. And we're going to look at all of the gods with a critical eye from now on, because supposedly they represent the most powerful colonial superpower at the time, which isn't which isn't a cute look for anyone. Not not a cute look. Oof. Oof. So <laughs> let's move on from from the big oof and get to something more exciting. Uh-huh. Luke. Luke. We're wow. meeting Luke. I have to say the mm. one thing that the movie really did right <laughs> is the casting of Luke. That is exactly if you know. That if you can picture that actor in your brain, that is exactly how I pictured Luke when I was reading these books as a kid. So likable. Just this like tall blonde guy who's chill. He knows his way around. He's been at camp for a really long time. He's like um, a good he's mentor. The, he's a good mentor. He's like he's got jokes. He's the kid of a minor-ish, not a minor minor god, but like not one of the Hermes. You know, he's Hermes's kid. So it's like we like Hermes, but he's not, you know. He's not super powerful. He doesn't have magical, super magical superpowers. Kids of Hermes play pranks on each other and Yes. We get this idea that they're sort of like lesser than because they house all the unclaimed and stuff like that. Yes. And we also start to sort of see this like weird internal classism in the camp. Yes. We really do. Yes. Hierarchies of parents. Yes. There's a serious hierarchy within the camp and within the kids. So we get Luke and he's like clearly going to be a great mentor to Percy. And we honestly don't think about him that much. He's just like a nice, attractive guy. Who we should mention here, we need to keep rearing because of these movies that like most of them are children. Percy and Adam, but they're children. Boundaries because they're 12 year olds. Luke is 19. Luke is 19 at this point. So Luke is hot. Luke is a hottie little body with a swimmer's body. Let's be clear. Let's Let's speak that truth. I love him. Annabeth. Annabeth. Has mysterious feelings for him. She's 12, but she clearly looks up to him a lot. And they have like a sort of contentious relationship where they care about each other. We don't know exactly what their history is, but we do know that there is history there. And that yes. obviously becomes super important. So we're setting that up too. There's some sword fighting, etc. Yeah, we get that Luke, like even though he's a child of a minor god, is like the best sword fighter the camp has seen in like Hot. years. Right, like Athletic, he's powerful, but talented. also like it's a, it's a skill. It's something he has to practice and build up. Like, and we love that for him. Works hard. 
but also has a chip on his shoulder. Oh yes, yes. This is this is very important for Luke. Luke's angry. Luke has a scar. A Luke scar. Has this mysterious scar. Where did he get it from? It gleams with the ghost of his past. At one point, Percy asks Luke, "Have you ever met your dad?" Luke looks mad. Once. Luke does not want to talk about it. Gas. We know that there's Luke is we know he's got an angsty history. And Luke, we know that. Yes. We're all so passionate about Luke right now. There's so much to say. The first truly beloved, angsty, yet kind-hearted white boy who is hiding his past and the trauma that has defined him. Yes. And grows to become, spoiler alert, an evil superpower. And he just gets hotter. And (laughs) it's really hard. It's hard to deal with. It, it, It is difficult. We have to move on. <laughs> we have to, we should, we should, maybe we should have made this podcast about Luke. <laughs> because like, I, I truly, when I was rereading these books recently, I almost forgot that Luke was low-key the center of the plot. He's a great um, character. And it's easy to forget because he gets set up as somebody who isn't that important right now. Moving on to Clarice, probably the other most important <laughs> character who he gets introduced. Um, Clarice is a badass. And I want to say straight up, like, I love her and I love her journey. <laughs> there, I think that she geniusly does not get demonized for her strength. She's a daughter of Ares. Yeah. She's super strong. She's, you know, in and around this word, like, bitch, maybe we would describe her in the novel. <laughs> and yet, it's not because she's strong and it's not because she's really badass at fighting. It's because she's, like, kind of a hothead and a bully. Yes. We, we don't like her because she abuses her power, not because she has it. And that's, mm-hmm. like, a very powerful distinction that we also, like, you know, allows us to follow her journey in a really nice way. It's also really yeah. cool that, like, you know, like, she is sort of, because she's a daughter of Ares and Annabeth is, like, a daughter of Athena, they're sort of set up as, like, obviously, like, Clarice isn't as big of a character, but they're sort of set up to, like, mirror each other in some ways. Yeah. And that was, like, a really cool move that, like, these two children of, like, the war gods, right, like, the ones who people look to to, like, lead the captain of the flag teams and, like, all the right. battles are, like, both yeah. girls of, like, Women. similar ages who are, like, you know, like, leaders and, like, powerful and, like... Have like, yet still have ideological differences and are still described as can like have hair girls that looks like a princess. Clarice yes. doesn't get as many like beautiful descriptors, but we we don't think that she's ugly in, yes. by any means. And that I think that was really important for me to hear that as a young female child. <laughs> Clarice, she is a bully at this point. She tries to stick Percy's head in a toilet for reasons like not super specified, other than we keep hearing about this like big three thing. We don't know what it means, but Clarice is like probably somehow threatened by that yeah. and feeling insecure and therefore acting out. And she and her cronies, her evil crew, which is basically just her brothers and sisters, yep. try to shove Percy's head in the toilet. Whoa. Whoa. Doesn't work. Backfire. Doesn't work. Is it a literal backfire? Is that what backfire? No. I was about to say, I was like, is that a pun? Backfire, backwater, backwash. Toilets explode. The toilets explode. (laughs) Toilet explodes. Percy feels this tug behind his gut or a tug in like the pit of his stomach, which is like, to me, such a visceral feeling. Like I can get that sensory image in my body. And suddenly the toilet explodes and he doesn't get toilet water all over him. But suddenly Clarice and all her brothers and sisters are like soaked in disgusting we don't even spend enough time sewage. talking about how literally disgusting that is. He like salmonella. Like they're gonna get diseases from that. GI tract infections is what they're gonna get. Yes, it's <laughs> it's terrifying. But um, it's really embarrassing for them, frankly. But he doesn't. He like humiliates all of them, and he like he, he doesn't just like drench them. He like the water pushes them out of the toilets so that <laughs> the, the other campers walking by can see like Clarice is like powerful like leader in the camp being like mm-hmm. dragged out. Covered in toilet water in front of everyone. Yikes. Everyone sees this and they're like, what's up with that? I would hold a grudge from that too. I would hold a serious grudge from that as well. Yes. 
But Percy at the same time, Percy's like, oh my God, what? Like, I don't know how I did that. Like, I'm still don't know anything about who I am. I guess I have powers. Like, he's still very innocent. We don't know what's going on. Annabeth is also there. Annabeth is watching this. Annabeth is dry. She's like, I have questions. I have have thoughts. I have questions. No emotion. She's just like, you're going to be on my team. You're going to be on my team. For Capture the Flag. What a moment. Wow. There's a little bit of stuff that goes on between that and Capture the Flag. Percy learns about, like, sacrificing food to the gods and all of that stuff. Percy has a sword fighting lesson in between, two. Yes, there's a sword fighting lesson. He spends his night in the Hermes cabin. There's some more, like, world building. But basically, we get to <laughs> capture the flag. Yes. And Percy's now on the team with Annabeth and the Hermes cabin versus, like, the Ares cabin and... Others. Other random... We don't... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Hierarchy playing into it. Uh, Annabeth is like, Percy, your job is to be on defense, basically. Guard the creek. Annabeth says, stay by the creek and, you know, watch out. He gets attacked, right? Like, uh, Clarice and the others show up and they're like, hey, we're going to come beat you up some more. We don't care about winning this game. We're going to, like, slice you open. And Percy's like... First of all, like, what? Like, are you, like, that's a sword? Are you for real going to slice me open? And they're Once like, again, yes. again, in this life or death situation. Yeah, stakes, stakes are, like, stakes are pretty high. high. You know, like, these we are fully swords. He could die. Five of them against one. It's it's not looking good. Clarice has this, like, electric spear that he, like, Ooh, yeah. can't fight, really. Mm-hmm. They're, Clarice they're is armed up with good. anger. She needs revenge. She's she needs pissed. revenge. And yet, as he's doing all this, they push him into the creek. They think he's mm-hmm. going to drown. They think it's funny. Ha, 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 ha. But, gasp, power. He's ready. His wounds are healing. He's up and at him. Five versus one. Doesn't matter. He he takes them. He takes them all out. He breaks Clarice's spear, which is like a big deal. That's like a magical gift from huge. dad. Huge. Oh my God. Second huge embarrassing thing to happen to Clarice. I honestly do feel bad for her. I did. That, that was disrespectful. Honestly, like it was, that. It, was, it wasn't that unnecessary. Probably could have killed some good monsters. She gets a new one later. But like, anyway, still a big deal. Still, I, I, yeah, it's, still, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. It's a big moment for her. Again, this thing happens. His powers take over, and he's like, I don't know how that happened. Like, what is going on? Like, how am I this super powerful? Yeah, Percy's real, like, ooh-ooh at this point. It's, like, a little bit... Ooh. Sometimes a little bit too much, but, like, we'll we'll allow it. We'll, we'll no, give we like him it. He's likable. We don't know him that much. He's likable. We don't know anyone. <laughs> they win Capture the Flag. The flag transforms into the Hermes cabin symbol. Like, everyone is super stoked. We're like, whoa. Annabeth is, like, low-key impressed, but, like doesn't care still. And I was like watching this whole time too. She like takes off her like little hat and she's like, I was here the whole time, but, but you were fine because I knew something was up. Annabeth is telling us, she's like, I, I prepared for this. This is really fascinating. Building a hypothesis here. Annabeth saw the toilet water explode and was like, hmm, water powers. What could this mean? Wait, wait, we should, (laughs) we should pause here to recap the big three pledge. So, So like for those of you out here who are thinking like, you know, a toilet explodes, the creek helps him. Why is anyone confused? Obviously, <laughs> there's only one answer to this. The reason why is because there's like a pledge, right? That like is mentioned by like either Annabeth or Grover. Somebody's talking about this. We get this as exposition from the other characters that like the big three gods, right? Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, some patriarchy there. We'll move past it. Mm. They they like pledged after World War II, which was apparently a fight between their kids wow, real world, that, you know, like, they're, they're not supposed to have kids anymore. They're too powerful. They, like, mess things up. So at this point, no one's supposed to be thinking child of Poseidon. That's, like, off limits. Not just because, like, they made this pledge, but also because Zeus broke the pledge, and it was, like, a huge deal. Everyone heard about it, ended tragically. And there's definitely not there's a prophecy. more big three There's a kids. mysterious prophecy going on that might involve a child of the big three and might be really dangerous, and we don't know it yet. 
Yes. Annabeth knows it. Kyron knows it. Literally nobody else possibly knows it. Grover might know it. I don't know. Annabeth Unclear. knows it. But why does Annabeth, Annabeth have all this it. information? Because she's a genius. <laughs> and she stops at nothing to get the information that she needs. So everyone is like, the water healed him. And somehow this kid that just showed up defeated Clarice again. And they won the capture of the flag. And it's like, everything is fine. And then suddenly... <gasps> Stakes. Third-ish huge monster appears. It's this hellhound out of nowhere. We get, for the first time in the books, the image of the hellhound, and it's gigantic, and it's terrifying, and it is literally about to kill Percy. It's like going to rip him to shreds. We hear giant claws. We hear wet chest from, like, blood. like, And he's wearing, like, fully, like, armor here at this point, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is the monster that's tearing through his armor. Yeah. Blood in the chest. Yeah. Ah, stakes are he high. He can't stop it this time. Kyron's um, he freaking can't even out get too. close enough to the water, yeah. I think. And then basically the only thing that happens is that Kyron shoots it down. Yes, stops out, kills it. Percy gets back into the creek. The water heals his wounds. Yes. Which, like, even bigger a deal this time because truly, like, he was about to die. The and everyone's died. watching. He was about to Every die. Single Every single person in the camp is watching him get healed. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like time, time for reading. another reading. Would you like to read it, Carter, since I read the last one? I, I can read it. I can read it. I, I, I have it. Page 125. Here. Yes. Give it to us. Ahem. You're wounded, Annabeth told me. Quick, Percy, get into the water. I'm okay. No, you're not, she said. Kyron, watch this. I was too tired to argue. I stepped back into the creek, the whole camp gathering around me. Instantly, I felt better. I could feel the cuts on my chest closing up. Some of the campers gasped. Look, I, I don't know why, I said, trying to apologize. I'm sorry. But they weren't watching my wounds heal. They were staring at something above my head. Percy... Annabeth said, pointing. Um, By the time I looked up, the sign was already fading, but I could still make out the hologram of green light, spinning and gleaming. A three-tipped spear. A trident. (gasps) Your father, Annabeth murmured, this is really not good. (gasps) It is determined, Chiron announced. All around me, campers started kneeling, even the Ares cabin, though they didn't look too happy about it. My father, I asked, completely bewildered. Poseidon, said Chiron. (gasps) Earthshaker, Stormbringer, Father of Horses. Hail Perseus Jackson, son of the sea god. Period. <laughs> Period. Oh. oh my god. Wow. If there was ever a cinematic scene written in a novel written for nine-year-olds, this is it. Like, Visual excellence. It's all there. I can see it. And that is something that happens throughout the entire, like, the entirety of the series. Like, I get so engrossed in these books, even as an adult, that yes. I can physically see everything that is happening as it is happening. And I can, like, hear music and just, like, <laughs> see the faces of these campers. And I can just see everything so vividly in this moment. Yes. Holy crapoopy. Powerful. Poseidon? Wow. Lo- lots of back there. Breaking the law. We know that he's powerful now. We know water powers make sense. Annabeth says it's not good. What does that mean for their relationship? Annabeth is unimpressed. <laughs> Annabeth is unimpressed. She's just standing here. She's, she's murmuring under her breath. She's like, this is not good. It's not good. It's not How good. It's affecting me. <laughs> we know that this is like Loki getting in the way of her personal plan. So, so we're not very pleased about this. Or Annabeth isn't very pleased about this. And we associate ourselves with Annabeth. She's not very <laughs> pleased about this. But also it makes sense. But also we understand now the pieces are together. What does this mean for the future? Mm-hmm. What is his relationship with his dad going to be like? Ooh. Also, what, really what does this mean about these visions that Percy's been having about, like, the horse and the eagle fighting and, like, all that stuff? Like, huh? We what? didn't even talk about that. Anyway. The, anyway, we're it, off to a great start. And, off and to a great start. And we're catapulting ourselves into <laughs> the, the second two-thirds of the last 
the last parts, the, the, the rest of the exciting part of the story. Basically, at this point, exposition is going to keep happening throughout the book, and we're going to continue to meet new characters and find out new things about mythology for the whole rest of the series and this world and the world yes. building. But like at this point, fun, safe camp time is done. Th- that is something that like I think that really sets the series apart. The fact that exposition really does keep continuing like forever. Yes. We're always meeting new people. We're always learning more mythology. We're never done with what's going on because the first, you know, spoiler alert quest that we're about mm-hmm. to go on in the next chapter, in the next book, is that he's unprepared. He knows nothing about the world. He knows as much about this world as we do at this point, And he's being thrown into all of this and like yes. asked to save the world. 12 there years old, no barely fun. been trained. But it's Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey time for us to yes. step out into the unknown without the mentor. Is he ready? We'll find out. We'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> right. After this, we're going to get more about the prophecy. We're going to get the oracle. We're going to get the quest. We're going to get leaving and, and taking on the big world and monster fighting and, and all of this and seeing if his like 48 hours of training is going to <laughs> pay off <laughs> or however long it is that he's at camp. And we're going to continue to see the beautiful, powerful relationship between Percy and Annabeth develop as they get to know each other and become partners in fighting I would say crime, but of course here, mythological monsters. And also ACAB. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Can't wait to talk about how the police are low-key chasing them throughout uh, the entire next Truly, week. yes. Surveillance state. Violent surveillance state. Yeah. We'll see you later. We'll see you later. And they like they don't have phones. It's interesting. It's 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 an earlier time. We have to we have to justify this for the modern times. So <laughs> I'm going to subtly close off this first ever episode by asking you a couple questions, Carter. We're going to ask everyone this at the end of our episodes. But first of all, and most importantly, literally of all time, do you believe that <laughs> Persebeth is the greatest love story ever told? I I think that Persebeth is very important. I think it's the canon, truly. Like, this is foundational mm. text. And I, I, for one, I cannot say that I know a better and greater love story that has been told. Amen. We'll leave and it there. God bless. God's bless. <laughs> and finally, question a little bit more contentious, perhaps not a yes or no answer. Do you think that it's worth Percy going to all this trouble that we're about to go through in order to save Western civilization as it is heretofore ambiguously defined? Very ambiguously defined. Yes. Um, you know, we've met one God. We've, we've seen some bad parenting. We've remember that um, empire happened. And at this point, I, I think it's ambiguous. I think that we, 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 we have a lot of questions that need to be answered before we get on board with, with saving Western civilization here. I'm not, not We need to travel across America. We need to travel across America <laughs> and sort of get a feel for what Western civilization is. Yes. And, and lucky for us, we're about to do that. <laughs> <gasps> so exciting. So, alrighty, this concludes our first ever episode. Thank you to our parents and close friends for joining <laughs> us and listening. We're so excited to be on this journey. And if you're reading along, let us know. Considering you're our close friends, text us or send us a message (laughs) on Instagram. I'll make us a Twitter. And we will see you next time for some prophecies, a little bit of quest action, and starting to be joined by our special guests. Wow, powerful. A rhyme. Like the Oracle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. All right, bye. (laughs)